Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. On today's episode, we are going to look back on the Battle of Hogwarts in honor of its anniversary. What moments from the book should have made the movie? Why didn't the film show any death scenes? If we could change one thing about the book's battle, what would it be? Which character would we have saved and killed instead? Ruthless. (laughs) That escalated quickly. (laughs) All these questions and more on today's episode. By the way, did you guys notice that this is episode 512 and the Battle of Hogwarts happened on 5-2? Destiny. 5 slash 2. The one could be a slash, right? Yeah. What a coincidence. I feel like this is some Illuminati stuff. Yeah. I'm uncomfortable. It was just meant to be. It did get dark real quick <laughs> on this episode. But first, last week, we discussed a deleted scene from Goblet of Fire that appeared to be an alternate ending. And now we have a little more info to share, thanks to one of our listeners, Jill, for sending a site to us called HarryPotterDatabase.com. And they are cataloging all the deleted scenes from the movies. This looks like it's a new site because they've only... They only have pages for movies one through four. They don't have five through eight yet. And the Goblet of Fire page was actually just published this past March. So that's why I think it's a new site. But they have a ton of photos from this alternate ending that we were talking about. And they also noted, and thanks to one of our other listeners, Tom, for pointing out that this alternate scene, this alternate ending was also in the Goblet of Fire video game. But I have to say, this database is really cool. If anybody is really passionate or curious about the deleted scenes from the movies, they have scans from each of the Harry Potter movies' scripts. And these look very confidential to me because they have watermarks on them and stuff. I don't think this is (laughs) very legal. We'll see how long this lasts. It's super interesting to look at these script pages, though, and see the deleted scenes. I need to download everything on this site Yeah, save them while while they're up. Exactly. (laughs) But shout out to this site. Definitely a cool place to go if you're curious about deleted scenes. And uh, yeah, so there you go. There was this alternate ending. And there's also many more photos from this alternate ending on HarryPotterDatabase.com, including a shot of Hermione and Ron looking pretty scared as they look at Harry. So I wonder what's going on there. All right, Micah. So we're talking about the Battle of Hogwarts this week. Yeah. Yeah. As as you mentioned earlier on, the, the anniversary of the Battle of Hogwarts is on May the 2nd. What I wanted to start with, though, is I pulled a couple of scenes from the battle in the books. And this is my own personal feeling. I want to get all of your thoughts. But I felt like the Battle of Hogwarts in the movie was a massive dud. Ugh. The The fans were cheated. This was supposed to be the moment of the series, everything having built up to this battle, and we got none, zero, of these amazing book moments. Agree. (laughs) I, in preparation for this episode, reread the whole Battle of Hogwarts chapters in the books, and I will say that I liked it a lot better and found it to be a lot more exciting and awesome and payoff-y than I remember in the books. Maybe they're on that website that uh, Andrew <laughs> oh, shared well, earlier. We just need to go that through. That is actually it, it, a really yeah. good point. They don't have pages for the later movies, though, like I said, yet, but we'll keep an eye on their site. So I figured let's just read a couple of these and you know let, let's have a little bit of evidence to support what we're saying here. So we can each take turns. I'll start off. They heard uproar from the distant boundary of the school as what sounded like hundreds of people came swarming over the out-of-sight walls and pelted toward the castle. Chaos reigned. The charging centaurs were scattering the Death Eaters. Everyone was fleeing the giants' stamping feet, and nearer and nearer thundered the reinforcements that had come from who knew where. Harry saw great-winged creatures soaring around the heads of Voldemort's giants, Thestrals and Buckbeak the Hippogriff scratching at their eyes while Grop punched and pummeled them. And now there were more, even more people storming up the front steps, and Harry saw Charlie Weasley overtaking Horace Slughorn, who was still wearing his emerald pajamas. They seemed to have returned at the head of what looked like families and friends of every Hogwarts student who had remained to fight, along with the shopkeepers and homeowners of Hogsmeade. The centaurs, Bane, Ronan, and Megorian burst into the hall with a great clatter of hooves, as behind Harry the door that led to the kitchens was blasted off its hinges. 
The house elves of Hogwarts swarmed into the entrance hall, screaming and waving carving knives and cleavers. And just to add to that, a few more moments that were not in the films. George and Lee Jordan slam Yaxley to the floor. Flitwick defeats Dolohov. Aberforth stuns Rookwood. Arthur and Pursley floor Pius Thickness. Hagrid throws McNair into the wall and knocks him unconscious. Neville and Ron bring down Fenrir Greyback. And McGonagall, Slughorn, and Kingsley Shacklebolt are dueling Voldemort. All right. Now compare that to what we saw in the films. There's so much here. And most of these characters... I obviously love the battle in the book, and I too reread in preparation for today's episode. And I just love how it's structured. Uh, so many big moments and so many places that we go to. But looking back on the movie, and I have it up right now, I'm kind of like scrolling through the, the timeline of it. It's the Battle of Hogwarts is a good hour, probably more in Deathly Hallows Part 2. We do get a lot. We just don't get exactly what's in the book. And there's plenty mm. of good moments in the movie as well. I think one of the biggest changes, and probably this this makes more sense in a movie as opposed to the book, you know, Harry and Voldemort dueling as Neville kills Nagini. Those two things happen separately in the book, whereas in the movie, they're happening at the same time, and it creates a great movie moment. Getting to see the chamber, yeah. too, of secrets, you know, that doesn't happen off screen like it does in the books. There are some benefits to the movie you know reading a lot of these ones we just read i see it and i cringe and i think of dollar signs right how much would it have cost to put those winged creatures in the sky or the giants that were pummeling everyone i just think oh they never uh it would have just like looked bad and even worse in imax 3d yeah and there was to the film's credit there was this really great moment where the trio is running amongst all the chaos and they're literally encountering things that kind of mirror the challenges that they've run into during their years at Hogwarts in a, a somewhat sequential order. Like I remember they run into a bunch of Acromantulas and then Aberforth comes and banishes the Dementors. So there mm. are some nice little Easter egg moments in there where I think they've tried to capture the chaos of the moment. And I think that's something the movie did well. Um, you know, we didn't get as much of an in-depth character focus as we did in the books. I don't know that we would necessarily get that in the movie, but I feel like the the one thing that always stayed with me in terms of feeling disappointed in the way this was portrayed was Deathly Hallows Part 1 did such a great job setting up the the whole Deathly Hallows plot point of the story. And it just kind of felt like it fell flat in Deathly Hallows Part 2. Mm -hmm. You had to be a book reader to understand the significance of Harry dropping the Resurrection Stone. Um, you had to be a book reader to understand the significance of Harry rejecting the Elder Wand, right? Right. So yeah. I feel like those elements were really the ones that got lost in the movie. Yeah, I, I think those are all really good points. I mean... For me, when I was looking at pulling out these sections from the book, what I was thinking about is that unifying factor, right? And I think if you were to include, you know, those familiar faces, right? You were to include the centaurs, you were to include Buckbeak, you were to include the Thestrals, you were to have some of those moments um, like we were seeing at, the, you know, towards, towards the end of the list there and you know those the people storming up from from Hogsmeade like it creates a sense of a unified front against Voldemort and right. for uh, fans who have been with the series since the beginning you want to see those familiar faces right you want to see those people return and and fight in the battle and i don't think we necessarily got that payoff well, and and Preacher, too. I mean, that's a perfect example of not bringing the house elves into the fold. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I, you know, I don't know that moviegoers would recognize Bane, Ronan, Megorian if the centaurs came in the movie or, you know, it just because they were never introduced. They were never done the proper screen time or credit to begin with. Um, in the books, this works because we've spent time with those characters. In the movies, it wouldn't have worked. There would be no real recognition for some of these characters returning. Um, that said, you know, 
to what Laura was saying, it's the little internal inconsistencies. It's the fact that Deathly Hallows 2 and the Battle of Hogwarts during it doesn't necessarily explain the same things or, or, or hold up its own as its own movie that are like the bad problems. And, you know, for one thing, I know that when Deathly Hallows Part 2 came out, we were at a Harry Potter con, at least I was down in Florida, yeah. and there was a screening of this movie with uh, I happened to be in the same theater as some of the actors that were in the movie. And I remember that there was some kind of shock and surprise that a certain scene was cut. I think it might have been Percy's repentance and return. Mm. And if I could say, although I'm not sure, and I want to stress I'm not sure, I think Chris Rankin was very surprised to find out that that scene was not in the film and it bound by NDAs forever. Oh, so it was shot. That's the thing. So we'll see that on harrypotterdatabase.com when they release <laughs> the Deathly Hallows part two guide. But that's what I'm saying. So even these things that they, that are very big character moments, like Percy's return to the rest of the Weasleys, obviously all the, all the Weasleys were on set. They filmed this, but it's not in the film. So why not? You know, mm. like the things that they chose to keep or get rid of, I will never understand. Stephanie in the Discord, to that point, Eric, uh, brings up the random bridge explosion side plot wasn't really necessary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Agree. <laughs> I like the bubble. I like the whole like giant the bubble, cool. which is, yeah, I mean, it's visible. Like, right. you know, it's a really good visual aid and all the Death Eaters uh, running to it. Yeah. Like, you know, remind me of kind of people charging the castle, yeah. but it's different. When you mentioned the midnight releases, Eric, I thought you were going to mention how people, I thought where you were going with that is how people were crying at those midnight releases, um, oh, yeah. you know, during the key scenes in the movie. And the only reason I bring that up is because this movie really did hit at people emotionally. I mean, just seeing Harry in the forest with his parents, you know, stuff like that. It was it was incredibly emotional. I, I will never forget the open sobbing that was happening in the movie theater <laughs> at 2 a.m. watching the final movie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's it, there's, a you know, there were some character moments that were filmed that didn't make it in. The actors are sworn to never, ever, ever talk about it. So I'm really actually relying on HarryPotterDatabase.com. So uh, I'll just... Uh wrap that point up by saying I would have liked to see McGonagall, Slughorn, and Kingsley duel Voldemort. Yeah, yeah for sure. Would have mm -hmm. been an awesome addition. And in some of these others too, right? Hagrid getting a little retribution on McNair and, and throwing him into the wall would have been nice. Seeing a creature storm into you know, the Great Hall and, and attack a bunch of Death Eaters with the rest of the house elves um again it's about the unification piece of it right like this is supposed to be a unified front now against voldemort and seeing right. all that come together i think would have been nice to see on screen again this is it this is the final battle remember we're not getting anything after that so you might as well spend the money stop talking about pacing stop <laughs> talking about what it costs to put a house elf on screen like lord of the rings was able to do it somehow <laughs> You should be able to as well. That's my only point. Oh, and now, by the way, Amazon is spending $450 million on the first season of Lord of the Rings, the TV series. So money is no oh. longer a factor. They're just throwing as much money as possible to make as great of a television show as possible. By the way, now I'm thinking about Hagrid throwing McNair against a wall, and I'm picturing Hagrid being like a WWE wrestler. And like, I just really yeah. want to see that now. That would have been incredible. Why doesn't he also, pick up a folding chair too? Yeah, and also Hagrid gets thrown with... through a window by Grop in the book. Like that would have <laughs> yeah. been entertaining to see as well. With Fang. Fang with is Fang like too, with somehow. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in the books, Micah. I don't, I don't disagree with that for a second, but I really do think the movie delivered an excellent Battle of Hogwarts. I do like your question here, though, about or your point that the films don't show any death scenes. Yeah, I mean, you could probably include Snape in there, depending on like it's not really part of the actual battle itself, but right. I mean, we do see him pass on screen, but if you're thinking about a lot of the others, you know, we don't see Fred die. We don't see Tonks or Lupin die. Even right. the baddies, Bellatrix and Voldemort, don't really die. They just kind of evaporate. <laughs> yeah. No, that's exactly yeah. right. And I think 
it really minimizes the impact of this, right? Like in the book, Voldemort's body was there and people were just ignoring it. They were like, yeah, we're done with this dude. Oh, we're going to talk about that later. Yeah, I know. Um, But I think that it really minimizes the impact to be like, woo, magic. And I'm, I'm just really glad that they didn't evaporate Snape you know, for some odd reason, <laughs> like they did Bellatrix and Voldemort. But even the attack, you went on the exterior of the boathouse. You don't see Nagini actually attacking Snape. Budget. You, you do see Voldemort slicing his neck. But, you know, again, I'm not trying to be morbid here. I'm just saying, like, we don't see these, and I w- I'm just wondering if it it was intentional on the part of the director. Did it have to do with the movie rating? Were they worried about you know kids going to see this and the impact that it might have? I mean, they do show obviously Fred and and Tonks and Lupin in the Great Hall, so there is that moment. It was an interesting piece to me that they made that decision to not really show anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels kind of sanitized. To be honest, death is a very uncomfortable topic for many people. And I think that they were probably trying to create a movie experience that was going to be as enjoyable as possible for the greatest number of people. And that's probably why I feel like that's why topics like death tend to get sanitized in movies that have a broader general audience. They want to create a movie that can be seen by everybody. Maybe it was a MPAA thing. I wonder if there's like so many deaths you can show before mm. they make it an R. Well, they show Lavender Brown kind of like <laughs> bleeding out. But, yeah. the, uh, you know, I, I the, the, the Tonks and Lupin thing where they're reaching for each other, like or the ramparts, that's kind of cool. I like the the apprehension of, of death is definitely in the movie. You just don't actually see them fall and like the actors have to play like recently deceased. The last thing I'll say is that, and I've seen this a lot actually, is that, and you can make the same argument for the book in this case too, because in the case of like Lupin and and Tonks, everything is kind of off screen, but it doesn't necessarily do the character's story justice or it doesn't do the character themselves justice. People would have wanted to see Lupin dueling with Dolohov or Tonks dueling with Bellatrix, right? I can understand where people are coming from when when they feel like to just see them like that and not actually getting the moment. If it feels like there there's something a little bit lacking about this, especially how integral they were to the story. Yeah, I think it ultimately comes down to, um, you know, the inconsistencies that we've spoken about previously in terms of how many directors these films had. So each director placed emphasis differently. And as a result of that, there are some of these characters that we just didn't get very much screen time with. So I wonder if the thought was that for a general audience, they wanted to make sure they focused on what would have the most impact for the most people. And for someone like Tonks, I mean, how much actual screen time did we get with Natalia Ten- Tenna, is that how you say her last name? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how much actual screen time did we get with her? Not very much. Right. We'll continue with our discussion on the Battle of Hogwarts in a moment. But first, let's take a break. Let's relax from all this drama, because I want to tell you about something no one would ever fight over, the comfort of undies. Summer is coming, and for so many of us, it's the season of discomfort. It's hot out, you might get sticky with all that humidity, and if you could sit around in just your underwear, you would. Me Undies wants to make this the summer of comfort, and they want you to know that if you want to sit around in your underwear all day, that's absolutely allowed in their book. Get comfortable and express yourself this summer with undies in classic and bold colors and fun, adventurous prints. The adventurous prints are my favorite part of Me Undies. So many cute and clever cartoons, ranging from avocados to dolphins. They even have a selection of limited edition Harry Potter, Star Wars, and Wonder Woman prints. Me undies are incredibly comfortable, and this isn't up for debate. Once you try them on, you'll be wondering where they've been all your life. Me undies makes it easy to match, too. You can match your bottom half to your better half or halves. Yes, you can match your friends, too. Me undies helps you find matching pairs in a style and color or print of undies that's right for you and your boo. Because who doesn't love a secret twinning moment? 
MeUndies has a great offer for our listeners. For any first-time purchasers, you get 15% off and free shipping. MeUndies also has their problem-free philosophy. If you're not satisfied with any product for any reason, they'll refund or exchange it. No caveats, no questions. To get your 15% off your first order and free shipping, go to MeUndies.com slash MuggleCast. That's MeUndies.com slash MuggleCast. All right. One other thing we wanted to talk about as it relates to the movie was the the actual final duel between Harry and Voldemort and, and how the scene really differed between the book and the movie. And I know, Laura, you had a number of notes here about that. Yeah. So I also reread this in preparation for today's discussion. And the first thing that jumped out at me is that the whole ending battle scene happens in the Great Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, like everyone is ushered basically into the Great Hall and Harry, fi- he trails after Voldemort in his invisibility cloak. So that's a pretty big change from the films. I feel like that's understandable because from, you know, a moviegoer perspective, you're in the thick of the action and you probably want to see the main character, right? So I can understand why that particular usage of the invisibility cloak was omitted. Um, But there are a couple of moments here that I think capture a very different tone um, surrounding the final duel between Harry and Voldemort um, in the books versus the movies. And Micah and Eric, I'm going to ask you both to read these couple of passages. Bellatrix's gloating smile froze. Her eyes seemed to bulge. For the tiniest space of time, she knew what had happened. And then she toppled, and the watching crowd roared, and Voldemort screamed. (laughs) (laughs) My love. The mother of my child. (laughs) Who was that? I think Voldemort just entered the room. Damn. (laughs) But yeah, I thought this was such a different moment because one, you know, Bellatrix doesn't explode. Um, But two, Voldemort sees it happen in the book and he has a reaction to it. Whereas in the films, it feels like he's a little more disconnected from her. Mm. Yeah. And that's probably because they didn't, you know, they had no way of like looking into the future and seeing what we would later learn about right, these characters. Right. So I, I can't mean, the, hold the movie accountable my love for that. Is gone. Oh, God. <laughs> the book is very explicit. It says things like Bellatrix talks to Voldemort like a lover. You know, things like that. It's pretty nuts, actually, to reread. Here's another quote. I've done what my mother did. They're protected from you. Haven't you noticed how none of the spells you put on them are binding? You can't torture them. You can't touch them. You don't learn from your mistakes, Riddle, do you? You dare! Yes, I dare, (laughs) said Harry. I know things you don't know, Tom Riddle. I know lots of important things that you don't. Want to hear some before you make another big mistake? Rereading this area, I was kind of wishing that Harry called him Tom instead of Riddle mm. after hearing Dumbledore call him Tom. Yeah. I don't know. It's just yeah. a little more. I mean, he does, though. He says, I know things you don't know, Tom Riddle. Um, yeah. Are you saying you would prefer a singular just Tom? Tom? Yeah. Just Tom. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, doesn't he do that in the movie before he, you know, dives off the side of a tower let's free fall tom yes together together (laughs) the reason why i like this so much though is that harry is psychologically defeating voldemort at the same time that he's physically fighting him and to me that that carries so much weight to it that to leave it out of the movie i mean i don't know that there's a lot of taunting going on here before they finally dueled each other for the last time, but I feel like the movie could have found a way to to include it on some level because he's doing it in front of other people too, and that makes it even more meaningful. And of right. course, every wand battle in the movie, we've talked about this, ends up becoming like the Priorian Cantatum where it's the streams of energy that's going and which side will win kind of a thing. Even, yeah. You know, well, yeah. Yeah, but he's like he's like deep pantsing Voldemort. Like he's embarrassing him in front of everybody. Yeah. Well, and also he's establishing himself as the master of death in that moment. That's another way that Harry defeats Voldemort. Voldemort has been under the assumption this entire time that he is the master of death, and he's finding out in this moment 
no, it's actually this person that I tried to kill when they were an infant, right? And I think that that just goes along with the point that we made earlier about how the whole Deathly Hallows uh, subplot here didn't get the payoff that it deserved. Like Harry literally says, I'm the master of death, and we don't get that in the film. But I am wondering... I know with this climactic scene in the books being very dialogue heavy, it might not translate very well on screen. And I'm wondering if we can think of a way that the tone of this dialogue could have been captured differently on screen. I don't know. For me, I struggle with the Deathly Hallows as a thing um, because it's introduced in the last book. You know, like I know we've seen some of them before. But this whole confrontation between Hallows and Horcruxes and Harry's own journey in becoming the Master of Death, it's extremely interesting. But even in the book, it's possible to overlook like what exactly it means to be the Master of Death. Like Because, you know, Harry uh, actually survives death or chooses to die or chooses not to die after King's Cross. And there's just a lot of death. There's a lot of deathly things going on. And it's I'm still confused by it. So I'm confused by it in the book. I think in the movie, it would be even harder to explain and give it the right screen time while still trying to do the entire battle and everything else they're doing. Right. I always just picture like the average moviegoer who doesn't really know anything about Harry Potter and is just there to fill up some time on a Friday night and be entertained. They don't need to hear about the Hallows and the Horcruxes. It's just way too much information. Something they should have remembered when writing the script for Crimes of Grindelwald. Yeah, fair point. <laughs> well, the Blood Pact, I mean, not to mention that, but the Blood Pact really kind of short changes just how linked uh, Voldemort and Harry are. In the book, it's very specific about Dumbledore tells Harry in King's Cross in the book that, you know, Harry and Voldemort are linked closer than any two wizards ever were. And at some point he says they tramped on all the, you know, biggest, most important fundamental laws of magic to get where they are. And now I'm thinking of like (laughs) Dumbledore and Grindelwald just being like ridiculously linked together and there's a little necklace to prove it. I'm like, okay, Joe, like, you know, the the movie's just, you know, things have been updated, I think a little bit, but. Maybe they could have included all the Hallows information during that free fall because that would have actually made it less of a waste of time. (laughs) A little voiceover like David Attenborough comes <laughs> no, up. No, just Harry like, and Voldemort explain, you, you know, talking it all through. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. To answer your question, Laura, I, I mean, I'm thinking almost of a scene where they're actually dueling each other. And it's not just one spell. It's, you know, they're fighting against each other. And Harry starts to kind of go into this narrative about the Deathly Hallows and about becoming the master of the elder one. And maybe there's some little like flashback scenes that we get to see, like the invisibility cloak, they show it. The resurrection oh. stone, they show it. The elder one, cool. they show Harry when he's talking about, you know, what happened on the astronomy tower. They show it when he disarms Draco, they show it. Like, I feel like that would have been easily digestible for fans and not too confusing. Cause at yeah. least then you're, you're pointing back to moments that already happened on screen. That's true. And I think that you could do a similar thing with the whole, I've done what my mother did because that was the whole point. Like (laughs) the, the, the blood protection is like what brings this story full circle. And we don't get that in the film. Right. Yeah. All really great points. So shifting gears slightly, I wanted to bring up a, a question that we've talked a little bit about before, but, I don't think we were all on the last episode when we talked about the Battle of Hogwarts. And the question that was posed was, is it responsible to allow students who are of age to fight? And what role do we think we would have taken? First of all, they were given the choice. They weren't forced to fight. I think that's important to note here. Uh, That said, I think if it was up to the parents of these children, they probably all would have said no. But these students have been at this school for years. They want to be part of this big fight. Is it irresponsible? Yeah. But just imagine the battle with a lot less people. That's war, right? Like, I feel like this is a commentary about the, um, the brutality 
of war and the fact that things were so chaotic that not just students who were of age stayed, but students who were underage stayed and died. Mm -hmm. Because when you're in the midst of this kind of battle, who's going to organize that, you know? Right. But that's why it was important to see (laughs) the families of these students show up. The people from Hogsmeade show up. The adults show up. Because otherwise, you're just pushing the children to the forefront of this war against Voldemort. And you maybe have like a handful of members of the Order of the Phoenix and some of the professors. That's the bulk of your fighting force here is is a bunch of teenagers. I guess it does emphasize just how messed up Voldemort and his Death Eaters are if they're willing to kill children as well. Yeah. Well, he did give them the choice. He said, give me Harry. And they were like, no. Yeah, but he's still willing to kill them. He, well, and Harry's a kid too. He waited an hour, you know. He was like, <laughs> "He did." You have one hour, and it's like during that one hour, you can be like, "Well, I think I'm gonna go. I'll go home." <laughs> you know, that was enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then a question here also about would there have been any moment if we were in the Battle of Hogwarts? Would there have been a particular moment that would have caused any of us to retreat? Maybe we're afraid of a certain Death Eater or Voldemort himself. Yeah, like I no longer identify as a Gryffindor, so I don't have a problem stating this. But at one point, a hole is blown in the wall and a giant acromantulous spider, one of Aragog's children, cl- crawls through the the hole and starts attacking people. And like, this would maybe be my peace out moment. This would test me. <laughs> so hard there's hundreds of these giant spiders probably the size of people coming through and i'm sorry i just don't deal with the eight legs i can fight you know other humans that's totally fine that's our calling the spider warfare thing not here for it yeah at all facing some giants would be pretty terrifying i'm one of the people who would have decided to not fight oh yeah i forgot slytherin right yeah Yeah. the fight would just not be for me i'm sorry hogwarts i let you down I think I'm about to give a very Ravenclaw answer here. (laughs) Looking at things practically, I am uncoordinated as hell. And I don't think like I think that I would be more of a liability (laughs) in a fight like this than um, and lending any level of assistance. So I would want to help in any way I could. But I don't think the way I could help is through fighting. I think I could help go find, you know, the lost diadem or, you know, I could like go to the library <laughs> and, and look up look up some stuff people could do. I just don't think that I would be very useful in battle and I think that I could just by me being there, I think other people would have a harder time. More people so, would die if Laura was involved. Yeah, I'm just like there. People just die. Even being in um, the library wouldn't be safe. I mean, one of those walls could suddenly just get blown out. Yeah, that's true. I would I would definitely feel compelled to assist. I just wouldn't want to be on the front lines. You'd want to be like in one of the command posts, like directing people maybe. Yeah, there we go. I'll, I'll help like secure the bubble. Okay. You know? That kind of stuff. Yeah. I'll be in one of the towers to like pick people off who are breaking through the bubble. That's fine. But don't, seriously, don't make, don't ask me to blow anything up. Don't ask me to, you know, do like a one-on-one duel with somebody because it's not going to go well. Yeah. Okay. I'm with Laura. I want to snipe people from a distance like I do in video (laughs) games. I don't like getting too close because then I'll lose. I would have probably bounced the moment that Voldemort hugged Draco. (laughs) (laughs) What is going on here? I'm out. Yeah. No, but in all seriousness, I think probably the moment that Voldemort actually shows up at Hogwarts and you see Harry's body there, I mean, that would probably be a moment that I would considered just kind of like slowly back pacing and like going back into the great hall and like finding one of the uh like hidden passions ways <laughs> and just like see you later i'm glad to hear this i asked my partner this question the other day and he had probably the shortest answer of all of us i was like would you stay for the battle of hogwarts like what would you do and he was just like nope <laughs> 
Isn't he also a Slytherin? <laughs> he is. I'm telling you, this is a real thing. This is totally a thing. But weren't we told that they did, some of them did come back to fight? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I was surprised to find that they were given the choice um, in the books and uh, they were ushered out of the school, but not to the dungeons. And some of them did come back to fight, except Voldemort says it, that they came back to fight for him. So. Ah, uh, okay. Well, we thought it would be fun to pick one thing that we would change about the battle itself from the books, not the movies, because we've we've already had that conversation. So, Andrew, what did you choose? So, this is just after the battle. I think they should have done something with Voldemort's body besides dragging it to another room. You know, burn it, have some sort of speech in front of it, then make it vanish. I mean, they make other waste vanish with Evanesco, so just use <laughs> use that spell to get rid of some other poop that's been left around. Yeah. Oh my god, just send Voldemort's body to the pocket dimension where all the poop goes. <laughs> <laughs> send it to the Black Lake. <laughs> Let it sit at the bottom of the Black Lake. Let the squid eat it. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, if you're going to do any of those aforementioned things, it, you might as well have Voldemort evaporate like he does in the movies. I mean, if he's going to leave a body and it's just going to be like any other person and the whole point of it is he's a corpse, you know, in the end, just like all of us will be, uh, have a funeral or figure out, like, say what they do with the body. I think this is a huge thing they should have done. I agree with this. It just made me uncomfortable to know that the body was still there. Oh, and you know that people are going to be able to polyjuice with that. They're going to like, oh gosh, you know, they're going to infuriate it. Somebody a hundred years from now, some dark wizard's going to think, man, I I'd be like the coolest new dark wizard if I had, you know, Voldemort's dead body as a, a leader of my dead army. Yeah. Does he have any body hair though? <laughs> He's... Well, not hair, skin. Up There's his a nose. Ton of there's places where just... there's hair, Micah, I'm sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> Your hair actually keeps growing after you die. So it's like his, he's going to have like foot long nose hair in 100 years. Oh. This portion of the show brought to you by Manscaped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I will say in the movie, though, the, the whole evaporation, one of the things that I thought about when I was watching it, especially if you're coming at it from the perspective of not being you know big book fan, I almost wonder, is, are you leaving open the opportunity that because he's kind of evaporating that there's this chance sometime yes. down the line that he could return? Yes, and um, he did in Cursed Child. That's time travel, though. That's yeah, I know. But you're right. That does leave open the possibility. And I bet some people considered that after they saw that. So I'm considering the you know Battle of Hogwarts to be pretty much from when Electo Kara pushes her dark mark and Voldemort's like heading to Hogwarts and Harry's still wrapping up trying to figure out where all the Horcruxes are and how to destroy them. So the one thing that I would change is the location of the Diadem of Ravenclaw um, being in the room of requirement. I feel like that's one step too convenient for me. Or if it was going to be that the Diadem is in the room of requirement, the explanation cannot be that Voldemort somehow thought, despite all evidence, that he was the only person to find that room. That room is literally made up of centuries of stuff that students have piled there and brought there, which immediately disproves that Voldemort's the only one who knew about it. And yet, it said not once, but something like three or four times that Harry knows, because he's got that special insight into Voldemort's mind, that Voldemort was like, oh yeah, nobody ever found this. And Voldemort himself even is like, I think it's to Snape or when he's in the Shrieking Shack, it's like, yeah, it would take somebody who was thoughtful and, and resourceful and smart to penetrate that room at Hogwarts. Ha ha ha. You know, Voldemort's like, Harry's not smart. It's just like, it's the to me, it's the biggest mistake that Voldemort makes. It, or it's, it's just like the moment where he was the dumbest. Yeah, um, that whole well, area it's... felt very convenient to me. I think that's mm -hmm. what bothered me most. And we're introduced for the first time to Fiendfire. And that's, oh, like, thank gosh, that's the Horcrux killing spell. Mm. You know, like, it feels a little rushed, I think. Yeah, I think it does speak to Voldemort's hubris. And that ultimately what brings his downfall is the fact that he thinks that he's the smartest guy in the room. He's the dude who thinks that when he comes up with an idea that he's the first person to ever think of it ever. Mm. So I 
I can appreciate it from that standpoint, but I agree it could have been maybe a little more challenging <laughs> for him to find the diadem. Maybe he just got lazy yeah. and after all the other <laughs> horcruxes. I mean, you think about the level of security on some of these horcruxes, right? The cave. Right. The the Gringotts even. Oh god. And then yeah, the diadem is just hanging out in the room of requirement, but I also think to that point, you know, sometimes the things that you're looking for are right in front of your face and sometimes those are the best places to hide yeah, them. In plain sight of sorts. Well, you know, but it is it isn't even disguised though. You know, like at all. But this is Voldemort's ego at play. He's the only one who has discovered the room yeah. of requirement, so he thinks, and there's no way anyone else is going to discover it. Right, but a room that's literally built off of everybody else's like tennis balls and used like yeah. spell books. Like, come on. But it's like, what yeah. do you think? I mean, just to play devil's advocate, entire... that place yeah. is packed with junk. So, mm-hmm. what are the chances you might be able to find something, especially quickly during a battle in that room? Yeah. Well, if anyone's in the room and happens to be a Ravenclaw student, which is 25% of all Hogwartsians, you can, you know, it's not even disguised. So you would come across and be like, oh my God, there's a statue of this in my common room. Like exact thing. I've found the lost item of Ravenclaw. And then you touch it and probably get possessed by Voldemort. I like Micah's theory that Voldemort just got lazy. But I mean, I'm (laughs) saying like this is this is the one example I really can't forgive. There's at least a dozen others where he's lazy and stupid Mm -hmm. and. I'd bring them all up in another episode, maybe. But, you know, this is the one that hurts me the most. So I would absolutely change it. Do we know what number this was, though, in the in the line of Horcruxes? Because if it was towards the end, I mean, I guess it's not. It's probably more it's uh, towards the beginning. It's before he's made it before he. It's number five. It went ring, diary, oh. cup, locket, diadem. So oh. it was the last okay. one until Harry. And then Nagini, of course. Okay, well, yeah. He was he, getting lazy. I mean, by that point, think about how many horcruxes he has. Yeah. <laughs> he, he ran out of ideas. Just, <laughs> exactly. He just yeah. it out. He deposited it quickly uh, on the night he asked Dumbledore for a job. I'm going to post this theory in all these discussion forums where people are debating the diadem for pages. I'm just going to be like, he got lazy, guys. That's all it was. It just came down to that. <laughs> the lazy dark Listen, Lord. episode 512 for more. The lazy lord. <laughs> Hashtag lazy lord. The lazy lord. lord, yeah. We need the alliteration. Thank you, Laura. Are we going to have to Photoshop Voldemort into a lazy boy for social? <laughs> yes. <laughs> First Slughorn, now this. Oh, man. So I know that there is audio of me saying this pre-book seven on this show. <laughs> I was. I remember being like, I swear to God, if the final battle is at Hogwarts, it's going to be so dumb. Well... It was. Um, I genuinely thought the books were setting up to have some kind of final confrontation in the Department of Mysteries, specifically surrounding the veil, because there was so much emphasis placed on it and the fact that certain people can hear beyond and others can't, depending on their experience with death. And I just felt that given that this whole climactic scene was going to be surrounding the forces of love and death, it made sense to me that something would happen specifically regarding the veil in the Department of Mysteries in Book 7. And it didn't. And I do like the ending of Deathly Hallows. I was very satisfied by the ending. But we had a lot of confrontation at Hogwarts over these books. And I think it could have been more interesting to include a different setting for the climax or at least like maybe some stuff happens at hogwarts but maybe some stuff happens somewhere else like i just find it difficult to believe that while this whole final confrontation is happening at hogwarts that there isn't stuff happening elsewhere like i can't imagine that voldemort wouldn't be sending some of his forces to overtake other parts of society. You know what I mean? So I would think that there would be confrontation elsewhere, not just at the school. I mean, if it were at the Department of Mysteries, I want to see serious fight again. Mm -hmm. I want him to come out of the veil, be like, ha ha, I mastered death, jazz, (laughs) and just kind (laughs) of... He's like, I'm back. I'm back. I figured it out. And now I'm going to explain the Hallows. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I chose with uh, a shout out to Manu... Uh, over on Twitter, who also sent this in. And I think this aligns kind of with my um, reasoning from the opening discussion we had 
um, in this episode. But I would have liked to have seen Durmstrang and Bobaton been an integral part of the battle. Uh, it, it kind of always mm. bo- bothered me that you know Dumbledore had preached international cooperation, and they were virtually mm. absent from Deathly Hallows as a whole. I know, obviously, right. Fleur is present throughout the book, and she does fight in the battle, but her aside, there's a whole school that could have come and, and been supportive, Madame Maxime. Um, I think we learned that Karkaroff was killed, right? But certainly Crumb and, and Durmstrang could have shown up, and uh, it would have been a nice moment. Yeah. Well, on your and uh, Laura's points, just also think about what that would have done to the story if suddenly... We're also having to follow what's going on in different parts of the Wizarding World or bringing even more characters in. It would just be overwhelming. Well, no, I'm just talking about yeah. the final battle. No, I know. But there was a lot happening already. Yeah. So. I mean, Fleur obviously becomes a, a big part of the story. Crumb we see at the wedding, and that's pretty much it after that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think at the very least, he could have been a representative of Durmstrang at the Battle of Hogwarts, right? Mm-hmm. Like that. <laughs> I am here to represent Durmstrang. <laughs> it's only you? Come on. We need more people. We're having he's kids like, well, fight. We're desperate. <laughs> he's like, well, the rest of the school is like, they're all dark wizards. What do you want? We also got some listener feedback over on Twitter. Jessica Barnes tweeted in to say, I think it would have been more impactful if one of the trio had died. How do three teenagers yeah. who are so reckless at times all come out alive in the end? Jessica, how dare you? No, I think, yes, I actually kind of wish that one of the trio died as well. I'm just thinking about, this is going to sound so lame, but things like the theme parks, even rereading the books and movies, I don't think they have the same, it's just like sad to read them again, knowing that one of the trio died. It's like... The Divergent series. Spoiler alert. Uh, Triss dies at the end. What? That's like, yeah, that's like really sad and depressing. My feelings on this, I don't know how to explain them. I actually agree with you 100%. It would be really hard and grueling to read the in the moment thoughts, hopes, dreams of any one of the trio throughout seven books, even their little spats with each other. The yeah. little feud, like Ron's feud with Harry and before like, you just couldn't go through seeing them go out the other end of it if you knew that one of the three was going to die. It's a bummer that I think turns you off. You got to think about re-readability, Jessica. Re-readability. <laughs> right, right. And think <laughs> and about theme park profits, too. <laughs> of future merchandise. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, the trio was untouchable. Yeah, and I will add that um, now I don't, I don't think the final Divergent book was very good. I feel awkward saying this because Veronica Roth, the author, was actually a MuggleCast listener back in the day. A lot of people criticized the Legion because Triss died. A lot of readers were really not happy with that. And I think Rowling would have also upset a lot of people if she killed one of the trio. I mean, Harry does die. He That's just doesn't true. Stay yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. Com- I mean, he comes back. Right. That's yeah, a good well, compromise. I, 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 but does, does that cheapen it? Yeah, because he still gets to have his hero's journey thing, which can end in the death of the hero. Mm-hmm. Probably does most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be a bold decision to kill Triss. I'm not sure. I don't. I haven't read it, but. Well, I won't now because Andrew spoiled it for me. So. I know. <laughs> I just I know, ruined I know, it I know. for you. <laughs> uh, also received to us over on Twitter at follow the rumple says uh, would have had Neville kill Bellatrix to bring her to justice for his parents condition. Good one. Um, I, You know, yeah. as much as people love the not my daughter, you uh, kind of thing and the whole Molly Bellatrix fight. I'm 100 percent bored on this uh, on board on this. Um, you know, Neville should have gotten to deal the final blow. Cassandra said, a good change, showing Slytherins fighting to defeat you-know-poo. JKR said in an interview that they did return to the fight, but she didn't show it happening. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Andre says, I'm just saying, imagine the trio, not just Harry, taking down Voldemort together in a final three versus one duel. That would have been cool. Yeah. Ron speaking to him in his copycat parcel tongue. <laughs> I'm just imagining Ron like. <laughs> Voldemort's like, how do you speak parcel tongue too? Ron's like, I just copied Harry. <laughs> Christina said, Fred, everything else I can deal with. 
but Fred. Uh, this is from Saba. Hey there again, Mabukas. I'm Saba, 13 from the Middle East, and I'd like to share what I'd change about the Battle of Hogwarts. First of all, there are several things I'd like to point out, one of them being how Lavender was killed in the movies fighting Greyback, while in the book she was merely attacked. I wanted her to survive. One of the biggest things that bothers me is so uh, how much Snape is praised in the fandom and how Harry named his son after him. Harry saw him as a hero when he learned he loved Lily. It was an obsessive love, not a healthy one. Snape verbally and physically abused his students. It's not an excuse. Harry also casts Expelliarmus against Voldemort, against Voldemort, thus killing him, which I find hilarious. That boy really does use it on everything, doesn't he? I'd have him vary which spells he'd use and not sticking with Expelliarmus. I hated the part where Harry broke the Elder Wand in the movie and returned it to Dumbledore's grave in the books. I think he should have kept all the Deathly Hallows and become the Master of Death, rather than tossing the Resurrection Stone in the woods. What's the point of having the Cloak of Invisibility if you're not going to take the other two? Last but not least, I don't know if you guys have seen it or not, but there's a deleted scene in which Harry, after Harry is revealed to be alive, Draco runs towards him and throws Harry his wand. What? It would have been a nice redemption for Draco if that scene wasn't cut. Thank you for everything you've done. I love listening to this podcast and it's been entertaining to me this past year. Um, we really do need the Deathly Hallows version of HarryPotterDatabase.com. Yep. Wait. Oh, okay. I found the clip on YouTube. Oh, no. Interesting. I mean, it's kind of hard to see it. Yeah, I actually, I mean, this would be a change from the book, but I think it would have been a good change because it would have been a quick movie moment to establish Draco's change of heart. Right. Like right. we only get that in the 19 years later scene where he kind of like, is standing awkwardly on the platform and nods at the trio and that's it. Um, but something like this, I actually would have been in favor of. By the way, the YouTube title of this video is Draco Malfoy saving Harry's ass and throwing him his <laughs> wand. <laughs> I don't think that's the official title of the deleted scene, but a good one. Yeah, I think Saba <laughs> raises um, some really good points for sure, especially mm -hmm. about how Snape is praised. Um, Snape is one of my favorite characters because he's so complex and interesting um, and imperfect. But I agree, I would not name my children after him. <laughs> like, no. And I think it's hilarious that Harry's over here, like, Albus Severus, like, you're named after two of the bravest wizards I knew. And meanwhile, all of Harry's friends who sacrificed for him are looking at him like, Hey, we're right. over here too. You know, we have pretty good names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Help on us. Yeah. yeah. Neville's like, great, great point. Neville's like, hey, man, you and me, we were linked by a prophecy, but you know, no big deal. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> We've got more on the Battle of Hogwarts today, but first, I want to tell you that HelloFresh is sponsoring this week's episode of MuggleCast. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre measured ingredients and mouthwatering recipes delivered right to your door. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh is my go-to meal kit for a variety of reasons. For starters, they offer more than 25 recipes to choose from each week, from vegetarian meals to craft burgers and extra special gourmet options. Browsing their menus is always a good time. There's something for everyone to enjoy, and all recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. HelloFresh cuts out stressful meal planning and grocery store trips, so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in about 30 minutes or less. They're going to save you money, too. HelloFresh is 28% cheaper than shopping at your local grocery store and 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal without sacrificing the quality. All these benefits, plus I can promise you that you will be delighted by everything that you make. I want you to give these a try because I promise you, you'll get cooking, you'll sit down to eat it, and you will be as thrilled as I am by what you make. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 12Muggle and use code 12Muggle for 12 free meals, including free shipping. Again, go to HelloFresh.com slash 12Muggle and use code 12Muggle for 12 free meals. We're talking free food here, including free shipping. This is an amazing deal and another reason why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. One of the other topics that we thought could be kind of fun to discuss, it's a little bit of a sad topic, but 
We wanted to bring back one character who died in the Battle of Hogwarts, but in doing that, we would have to kill another one. Yeah, so I want to bring back Colin Creevy. That poor kid. Such a good, good little kid. And I really liked him in the books when he made his sporadic appearances. And I thought in Colin's place, we could kill Trelawney instead. Why Trelawney? Andrew, that's so mean. Well, she did kind of cause all this with her prophecy, so it'd be kind of poetic <laughs> if she died during the Battle of Hogwarts. I mean, it was all her fault. She also, <laughs> if she died and she didn't predict her own death, it would have been kind of funny, like, oh, you know, she's making all these predictions. She uh, forgot to predict her own death. She, she forgot to keep an eye on herself. Yeah. And also, she just wasn't a great teacher. So maybe some people would be happy about it. Oh, my I'm God. sorry. This is very I feel mean. like if you read that, you'd be kind of like, oh. Like, oh, yeah. I'd it, be sad. It's, yeah, it's, it's sad. But at the same time, you're like, yeah, she really didn't stand a chance, did she? <laughs> like, No, no. Well, like, throwing it, the orbs, think- really? Like... Well, I feel that way about Colin's death, right? Oh, like it hurts. So yeah, if we're reprieving him, then it, it makes sense to have a similar, like something we'd react similarly to, but we still think is like ultimately a little bit better. Well, and he's an example when Laura said earlier that there were younger kids that made the decision to come and fight. He's an example of that. He was told right. not to. I think it was actually by McGonagall. Yeah. And it was really weird Good when Colin. he asked Harry for a photo in the middle of all of this too. Mike and Eric aren't laughing I think they're trying to remember like wait did he actually do that (laughs) new Pokemon Snap now available on Nintendo Switch Um, okay so I would save Lupin um, for obvious reasons you know he's the one marauder that's left he's the one who probably you know apart from Sirius he had the most formative impact on Harry he has a baby at home um, and I would trade him out for Slughorn because honestly, this is kind of Slughorn's fault too. <gasps> oh, <laughs> such a <Yeah>. good point. <laughs> We're killing off all the people who <laughs> caused this mess. I, Justice. <laughs> I was, um, you know, I know we're not doing the dueling club, but one of my like arguments or, or like what I would have Voldemort do when he was dueling Slughorn would be like to bring up like a, a magical screen to like continuously repeat Slughorn telling him about Horcruxes and being like, look, man, this was all your <laughs> fault. <laughs> I, I did like that part in the Battle of Hogwarts in the book where Slughorn uh, in is it and Sprout and McGonagall are fighting Voldemort, but like Voldemort is ultimately dueling the guy who told him about Horcruxes, which is awesome. I decided to save Lupin's other half, Tonks, and get rid of Professor Sprout. Now, Yes, I am trading two Hufflepuffs here, so you know the balance stays equal. But oh, why Sprout? Man. Uh, well, because I just think it's highly improbable that all four heads of house would have survived the Battle of Hogwarts. It's kind of like the person who made the comment yeah. about the trio. And besides, you got to clear the way for Neville to become Herbology Professor. And oh. for Tonks, I just feel like a lot of the reasons that Laura shared about Lupin. I know J.K. Rowling wanted the story to come full circle and have a um, child orphaned by war, but I just feel like, okay, you already told that story. And also now Harry has to raise Teddy and he's like 18 and he's been through so much already in his (laughs) life. Like you're going to saddle him with a child at 18 years old to be responsible (laughs) for raising as, as his godfather. Like, no, Tonks has to survive. Well, I I agree with you, Mike, so much so that Tonks was the person I'm going to reprieve as well. Um, she also just needs a better story arc. I think, you know, she's an amazing character introduced in Order of the Phoenix. And as of Half-Blood Prince, it just kind of goes downhill. She's emotional, moody, incapable, incompetent. She's just a miserable mess. And then she shows up to the Battle of Hogwarts only to die. Um, that's incredibly disrespectful and, and not really consistent with the character that was being set up. Uh, in the earlier books, we've talked about this when we were doing our chapter by chapter. So see those episodes for that. But uh, yeah, I'm going to kill Grop instead. Aww. And uh, the reason is, I mean, you, you know, we've also talked quite recently how Grop really there's no obvious point to him reading about him. The scenes fall flat, even in the books. They're just there's no real point to this character. I loved that in the book he is, you know, fighting in the Battle of Hogwarts. 
But he does this epic thing. We mentioned it earlier where he like drops Hagrid and Fang off by placing them through a window. And I was just like, you know, if Grop were to die, he would absolutely go out with one of the coolest swings. Like he could single handedly uh, take the bridge down, you know, or something like that. Like there would be an epic death scene for Grop and it would justify having to read all those chapters where they're like talking about Grop in the earlier books. What if he got eaten by a dragon? Oh my gosh. Amazing. What if he punched a dragon? That would be even better. Yeah. Now I'm thinking of like Hagrid and Grop, like falling off the bridge, like in the style of the hound of the mountain from the finale of game of Thrones. (laughs) Yeah. The two brothers. Yeah. Well, I mean, Grop could have thrown Hagrid and weirdly Fang through a window to save them as he was falling. People are going to think we're so messed up after this. <laughs> no, this has been fun. It's like, listen, all the wrong people died. You got to kill Trelawney. <laughs> you got to kill Sprout, everyone. No, that was a fun game, I think. And now, yeah. well, the Battle of Hogwarts was, of course, a very serious occasion, and we lost so many. I believe the Cursed Child called, uh, uh, said that 50 people died, the Fallen 50. I just thought we should pay our respects to those we lost. So I thought we could each take turns uh, saying a little something about a character. (sighs) Rest in peace, Lavender Brown. Thank you. Thank you for unknowingly being a pawn in Ron's game against Hermione. So long, Fred Weasley. You died as you lived, with a laugh fresh on your lips. The pursuit of humorous things consumed your every attention right to the very end. (laughs) Farewell, Remus Lupin. You won the game of Marauder Survivor, but (laughs) tragically lost your life in the Battle of Hogwarts. Thank you for providing Harry with the tools he needed to equip an army and ultimately bring down Voldemort. I'm crying. It's sad. Rest well, Severus Snape. You were simultaneously toxic and brilliant. Thank you for dedicating your life to protecting Harry, even though you're one of the reasons he was orphaned in the first place. Damn you, Voldemort. Damn you. (laughs) All right. Well, if you have any feedback about today's episode, you can email mugglecast at gmail.com or send a voice memo to that email address. You can also call us 1-920-3-MUGGLE. That's 1-920-368-4453. You can also use the contact form on mugglecast.com. And now it's time for Quizzage. Last week's question, what is the mathematical formula for determining the circumference of a circle? We got a lot of math whizzes, as it turns out, everyone, because we had over 50 correct answers. So, totally amazing. A lot of people had a calculator ready. (laughs) So, the way I learned it, as uh, many people did, is circumference equals 2 times pi times the radius. Or, another way of saying that is it's pi times the diameter of a circle that helps you figure out what their circumference will be. Come to think of it, pi times diameter is easier. I never thought of, I don't know why they teach two pi r. Is it just so they can give us like what the radius is? Anyway, correct answers were submitted by Corey Townsend, Lure Godmode, Ningchi, Holrakura, Avera, Rachel, Jesse, Boris, Sunshine, Count Lasagna, Prickly Wallflower, Hermione Puff, Emma, Zack Attack, and somebody named Math is Useful Andrew, among others. <laughs> You're right. Math is Useful Andrew. I apologize. I was just being a troll. So <laughs> we've learned that math is very important. Anyway, next week's question. What is the final sentence in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows prior to the epilogue? Oh, so if you damn don't count that's a I tough know. one i don't remember this at all i just saw it but i didn't remember it hmm. so all right choo choo submit your answer to us over on the mugglecast website peace and love mugglecast.com slash 
Quizich. There is a little bit of a form there you fill out and submit your answer for eternal glory. Choo-choo. Is that what you just <laughs> said, Micah? I did. Those were the final words. Yeah, before the epilogue couple reminders before we say goodbye. Make sure you're following MuggleCast in whatever podcasting app you use to listen to the show so that you never miss an episode. You can also follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And by the way, we just hit 6,000 followers on Instagram, so thank you everybody who follows us there. And finally, join our community of passionate listeners today at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Our Patreon is the reason why we are a weekly show. And to thank you for supporting us, which we are so grateful for, you will receive lots of benefits in return instantly. So visit patreon.com slash MuggleCast and get those benefits now. And uh, just a quick plug for next week's episode, uh, we will be continuing with the birthday theme and with... Oh, look, it's Professor Sprout. I guess I'm going to have to bring her back uh, as we celebrate her birthday on May the 15th. Uh, we're going to be doing the discussion about her and herbology and probably throwing a little Hufflepuff discussion as well. So if you have any thoughts about her or herbology and kind of its importance throughout the series, definitely send us an email, mugglecast at gmail.com or, or tweet us at mugglecast. We're going to get emails saying, yeah, I have a thought. Why do you want her to die, Micah? It's all hypothetical. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, everybody, for listening to today's episode. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.